0: This program is brought to you by the partners of A Rood Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Rood Awakening International today.
1: Rodney Thompson knows what it means to be addicted. He started using drugs as a teen, but it didn't stop there. His habit turned into an addiction he could not escape. This episode is an especially powerful lesson for parents and relatives of someone trapped in addiction. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live.
2: What a week, Shabbat Shalom Torah
1: fans. (laughs) Welcome to Shabbat Night Live and welcome to the Sabbath with Michael Rood. Well, tonight we start a new series with Rodney Thompson. You may recognize that name. He was our special guest for a love gift teaching in March, all about bringing the Torah via FaceTime calls to young women in India and Pakistan who were trapped in human trafficking. Then he bought their freedom from their captor. So tonight we begin a three episode series with Rodney again about his own story which will be an inspiration to anyone caught in substance abuse and addiction. So it's called uh, Impossible Odds and it starts tonight which is the fourth Shabbat of the second month on the Astronomically and Agriculturally Corrected Biblically Hebrew Calendar. There you see it there. By the way, our calendar is now available. There's the information on the bottom of the screen. And please welcome my co-host now, Angie Clark.
0: Thank you, Scott. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. I'm so glad it's the Sabbath. Right?
1: <laughs> you know, we go, 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 go. You know, it makes you appreciate the Sabbath all the more. Talk about. Some people say, you know, and I remember when we were first starting the Sabbath in our house, oh man, you mean I can't cut the grass on Saturday? I mean, when am I going to get this done? When am I going to get that done? <sighs> And now you come to the Sabbath and you're just so <laughs> ready to be done. And just, you know, a mandated day off from the Father. I mean, what could be better? It's
0: right? wonderful. You're yeah, right. Wonderful. Yeah, you just
1: obey it. And you begin to realize how precious it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of precious, you have a precious story about uh, Rodney about Thompson. Rodney. I Listen. don't even know about this yet. You told me right before the cameras came on. I have a story about Rodney. So Oh, go it's ahead. so
0: fun. I'm so glad David introduced him to us. Yes. I mean, he's been such a treat. David's you
1: know. best buddy, by the way. They were they grew up as kids. Yes. Right. Okay.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And I'm sure he has some stories, but but anyway, um, he had done a a little episode and I walked by via his office, you know, and she goes, that man of God's going to pray for me before he leaves here. I'm like, girl, I am on board with that too, (laughs) because we saw the spirit and truth on him. He brought the fire. Mm -hmm. And so... We we accosted him before he left, <laughs> and we're like Rodney, you got to pray for us. You got to pray for us. And so Annalee's she comes running. You got to pray for me too. <laughs> I mean, so, wow. So he prayed for all three of us ladies, and it was so powerful. Really, I didn't and I, even know this. That's because we caught him out there in the hallway. We wouldn't let that's... him go. He was he was about to leave, and he Avi is like, No, you can't go until you pray for us. Yep. She discerned that that spirit in him, you know, and. Thank God.
1: Well, and he, I mean, I believe it because he's a guy who understands people's needs and how to pray because Mm -hmm. he has hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. He tells his story in this series about how he hit rock bottom, Mm -hmm. and it's scary. I mean, we're talking all, all the bad stuff you see in the movies, but in real life, right? So drugs getting shot at. I mean- Starvation. Starvation, <laughs> robbing his own mother.
0: Robbing his own mother yeah. and drug dealers.
1: And drug dealers, yeah, crazy just stuff. Just crazy stuff. And now he is really helping people. And that's part of the reason, I mean, Rodney has no fear. He just doesn't care uh-huh. because he's seen the worst of it. He knows right. what it's like. And so he's he's quite willing to walk into those scenarios and help out. Yeah, So Yeah, yeah so that's no starting tonight. So impossible odds, I mean, <laughs> aptly named. <laughs> so that starts tonight. Uh, Now, by the way, so it's the 35th day of the Omer, uh, and this was uh, before Yeshua ascended, Mm because he ascended on the 40th day, so that's that's coming up here. Um, And something, yeah, very exciting, right? right? You know, right, can you imagine being there, by the way? That's just what I was
0: going to say. Can you imagine he's walking around all these weeks, you know, and what's going
1: on? Popping into locked Rooms going, hello. Hello. <laughs> Surprise, it's can, me. Can you imagine them? Like, did some of them pass out? Did some, I mean, what happened to some of these th- scenarios? I, mean, I know, just crazy. So, anyway, so in event 244, I had to write it down here from the chronological gospels, uh, Michael brings out a very important note about this. So, you know, right before Yeshua mm-hmm. ascends, he gives the Great Commission, right? So, go and basically uh, tell everyone that I've told you and you know, basically teach the Torah to folks. And then we have this thing in the Bible that says, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That whole thing, even the part about baptizing, never mind the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which Michael has talked about several times, even that part about the baptizing itself is not even in the original mm. manuscripts. It's, it's, it's an addition. I mean, we don't know if it was in the originals, but certainly in, in the uh, copies of the copies, uh, it was only added later. Wow. Much later. Wow. So that's not something Yeshua said. Wow. He said, he didn't say go baptize them and blah, 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 blah. Right. He said, which is always a good idea. Of course you want a mikvah, but but he only said, go teach them what I have taught you. Mm. So that's the great commission. Baptizing's not the great commission. Go and
0: make disciples. Go
1: and make disciples. In and how do you make disciples? Mm-hmm.
0: You teach the Torah.
1: Yeah. This, I mean, if people are, you know, back then, we know what it was like. You know, the law and the, and the traditions were so intermingled, people didn't know what was what anymore. Right, And Yeshua had to come to break that. Well, we find ourselves the same scenario, right?
0: Nothing new under the sun, brother. Right, there's so many traditions. It's like, wait, stop
1: doing this, just do this.
0: We were talking about that earlier, about Passover, and Mm -hmm. we'll get into that, I'm sure, at one point. But another event uh, in the chronological gospels, and it's probably somewhere around that, 244, I was just reading it the other day, and it was talking about how he appeared to them, you know, which we would have went, what? But it said some still didn't believe. Yeah, how can It you? was his disciples he appeared to. Yeah. And it said some still didn't believe. I'm like, how is that possible?
1: Did they think he was not dead on the cross or something? Who knows? Or, I mean, what was going through their minds to not I believe? How do you know. not believe that? I don't know. If that, he goes, "Look, see, it's me."
0: That blew yeah. my mind. I'm like, "Okay, I Yeah. So, God help us not to fall into that camp."
1: Right, exactly. You know. Now, something else we don't want to fall into is falling for man's trickery mm. as we get closer to the end here. We know mm. all these things that are coming at us, digital currency, you know, the world falling apart, the the obvious now, you know, collapsing of modern society. Planned to MAs. what end? The whole thing. Yeah, it's it's all, it's, it, I mean, if you don't see this as planned and deliberate, there, you, you have to be blind. Yeah. So someone who helped bring this to light was a guy that wrote this book, uh, The Wuhan Incident, because we all know it started with, with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And so this guy here, we invited him to, I met him at a, a health conference in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I said, you've got to come on Shabbat Night Live. So... He came here, he's a 20-year bioterrorism expert. He's run all kinds of operations with the CIA wow. and this and that, and wow, wow. even today, he's telling us how you know, they, they still run operations at things like the, the, the Super Bowl mm-hmm. to make sure everybody's safe. They actually test the air at the Super Bowl. Crazy stuff. So anyway, we intended this to be on Shabbat Night Live. After doing a couple episodes where we realized we can't put this on Shabbat mm-hmm. Night Live. So where it is, it's on the app. It's on the MichaelRood.tv app and that's the only place you can see it. Now, speaking of the app, there's other places where folks can see stuff outside Mm -hmm. of Shabbat Night Live, and that is our podcast as well. We have a new one, the Rude Radio podcast. Ted interviews the folks that come up here and uh, teach with us and gets them to tell their story. Mm -hmm. So that's anywhere you can get your podcast. So Apple, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you can get it. So we just wanted to bring that out. And this also we wanna bring out, but you know what, Angie, we're out of time, so I think we'll just let the commercial do the talking about the love gift and we'll talk about that maybe next time. Sounds great. Okay, all right, so Rodney Thompson knows what it means to be addicted. He started using drugs as a teen, but it did not stop there. So show this episode to anyone you know who is trapped in addiction. It will help. The Kiddish with Michael is next. Stay with us. With international corporations pulling the strings and digital currency at hand, the great men of the Earth are attempting to close the door on personal freedom.
3: There's no place to hide. No attics, no basements, no haystacks, nothing. No place to hide. People really need to understand that, to grasp it.
1: Holocaust survivor Vera Sharav warns of important comparisons between the Nazi regime and the Great Reset. Who to watch? How to resist their tactics, and why today's technology makes the trap so much harder to escape. This teaching, No Place to Hide, with Vera Sharov, is our gift to so thank you for supporting A rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in May, we'll send you No Place to Hide with Vera Sharov on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you No Place to Hide, plus a coffee table book commemorating Israel's 75th anniversary and the miracles that made it happen. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts. No place to hide with Vera Sharav, the 75th anniversary book of Israel, and a beautiful piece of art featuring the Shema in Hebrew and English made by immigrants to Israel. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rude Awakening International in May. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. The Chronological Gospels Bible is changing lives all over the world putting everything the Messiah did in exact chronological order and explaining the -the behind-the-scenes truth of what the Messiah did, when He did it, and why the timing of it all means everything. And now, the Chronological Gospels can be easier on your eyes. The larger print edition features 40% larger type and every page appears exactly the same as the original so you can follow along with others who have the regular size version. The Chronological Gospels Larger Print Edition also has wider margins to write notes, and the premium quality paper means you can highlight without soaking through. Plus, the Larger Print Edition lies flat, so you can teach without having to hold the book open. The Chronological Gospels Larger Print Edition is a big and beautiful coffee table book measuring a full 12 inches tall and nine inches wide.
2: Study the Bible with clarity and ease. I love the size of this book. This is nine by 12. The paper is is perfect because it doesn't bleed through when I write on it. I can mark it up and I always make notes in all my Bibles. Everything is the same place as it is on the smaller version and I can just stand back and I can teach from it and it's just, it's the perfect size. I pray thee, of whom speaks this prophet? Order the Chronological
1: Gospels larger print edition by phone or online. You'll get 40% larger type than the original. Call 800-788-7887. That's 800-788-7887. Or get the Chronological Gospels Bible larger print edition online at arudawakening.tv
2: large. The traditions that we have in modern-day Judaism remind us of what we did in the temple, and some of these traditions go back long before the temple in Jerusalem. It reminds us of when Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, brought forth bread and wine to Abraham when he came back from the slaughter of kings, and... Melchizedek, the Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, blessed the most high with the blessing that Abraham then taught to his son Isaac and then was passed down through the generations. Yeshua said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. He gave a 10th of everything because he saw the broken body and the shed blood. Melchizedek, as Abraham and all of his offspring then continue to say this prayer, this prayer of sanctification. Baruchatah Yehovah, Elohino Melech Alam, Homozi Lechem Mihaaretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And Yeshua said, This bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. And this is what Yeshua said the last night that he was with his disciples. This represents his broken body. that was broken for us. And then the blessing of the wine. Blessed are you, Jehovah, our God, king of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this is a renewed covenant, which will be paid for in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me.
1: You are in for a treat, my friend. You are about to encounter one of those stories that you hear of, one of these stories of people who came from impossible hods and now are doing the impossible for Yehovah. And we're gonna tell a lot more in a second, but please welcome our guest today, Rodney Tonson. Well, welcome, Rodney. Nice to meet you. It's Shabbat Night Live. Uh, so we were in the planning room just over here with a great big whiteboard in front of us. And uh, you've just come in with uh, David Robinson, who we'll get yes. into that connection in just a yes. sec. but. I had a pen in my hand, and, and this, and I looked up and I looked at you and said, "Do I have a pen on my face because the, this ink had run out of the pen all over my hand. That's right. right. And so I got rid of that and just didn't think anything of it. And then we started writing on the board and and remember that none of the pens would work. That's right.
3: None oh. of them would.
1: Yeah, none on the whiteboard. And we finally got one that that worked, and we started planning out these episodes we're gonna do for this show. Like that's, that's right. what we do, right? so we're we're doing this. and I, you know, by what you were telling me about uh, God's intervention in your life, I looked at this and go, you know what? We're not supposed to write anything down. Hmm. God made the pen bleed. The other ones we're trying to write on the board don't work. He's saying, just go with it. So we're just gonna go with it, right? We're just gonna trust him. We're just gonna trust him. Yep. So uh, Rodney, how do we know
3: you? I mean, today, first of all, tell us uh, who you are today. Okay, well today, my name's Rodney Thompson. It's a really pleasure to meet here, be here. Thank you for having me. But I'm, I'm simply a husband, a father, and um, that is first and foremost, a son of God. I mean, Jesus, you know, Yeshua. I, forgive me if I say Jesus, because I still got a little bit of the old church in me. But oh, we're but all good here. We I, go. I got you. People, son. I, I say Yeshua, Jesus, all of it. <laughs> it's, it's all the same God to me, but... Uh, but uh, I'm a husband and father, my my wife, Maria, and my daughters, Esther, Bethany, and Jacob. I'm a small business owner. Uh, I've been a business owner since I got reborn. And I got reborn in May of 2005. And um, I like to tell folks, you know, we start there, but it ain't always been that way. Nice. You know? So what do you do? What's, what's your business? It's an exterior cleaning business. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, so we do a lot of exterior cleaning and we do deck restoration in Kansas City and, and uh, that's a uh, Missouri and Kansas side. So. Okay,
1: so Missouri and Kansas. Okay, yep. now here's the connection that we promised with, with David Robinson. I got gotcha. you. So you and David had met up in uh, Missouri. Actually, no, you were friends way before you did ministry together, right? Yes.
3: So t- tell us that whole thing. How do you know David? Well, David and I grew up in the same small town of Mount Gilead, North Carolina. And we went to the same elementary school. And he was two years ahead of me, so he was right. a little bit ahead of me. But we played little league baseball together. And then we really became friends in high school. And so all through high school, we, uh, we hung out and we were misbehaving a lot. Which right. you heard, My testimony is much about all the crazy things I did prior to meeting Yeshua, you know? And so David was back, I think I used to say, when it was cute, yeah. you know, so... Huh, when it was cute. Okay, so we'll have to ask David more about these stories. That's <laughs> yes, right, that's right. I'll you try, can tell us I'll, tr- I'll try not to say too much about what David did. I'll try to focus <laughs> on what I did. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, so this is your life today, and this is how you met David. And then uh, somehow it goes from North Carolina to Missouri, mm-hmm. and uh, the ministry, uh, David worked with, um, forgive me, the name of the ministry out there is... Freedom Hill. Freedom Hill, right? You guys were with Freedom Hill together and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, how did this progress? And uh, so, just tell us, tell us your
3: story, how you've landed here. I mean, okay. Well, you want to start back at the beginning? Let's start at the. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. Well, like I said, I grew. I was born in 1965 and uh, born to a very loving family. I thought, you know, I think normal as everybody else, but there was a lot of problems in the home with my father and my mother. And so it ended up becoming a divorce. There was a lot of verbal abuse and emotional abuse. And and it really inflicted a real orphan spirit, I like to say, which is a fatherless spirit. My family left my father at about 10, 11 years old.
1: Mm. So, okay. So that must've been rough on the family. It stuff.
3: was. It was a very devastating time and I was very impressionable. I think my older brother and my older sister responded to it better than I did. Mm. But at my age, it had a real adverse effect on me and it created a a real pursuit of rebellion um, all through my high school years. Mm. Um, it was um I pursued rebellion. I, I welcomed it. I wanted it. Mm. And it, but it, you know, and in, in, in those days, that's the days that I knew David real well. Um, our friends, we just all delved into it. It became an everyday thing of just smoking marijuana. Not just that, but uh, it started getting into blackout drinking. Wow. Um, it started getting into LSD. Quaaludes, Valiums were really popular back in those days. This, Now this is in the early 80s. And you said that you, uh, when we were planning these episodes,
1: you said you started all this kind of stuff when you were like, what, 12?
3: First time I smoked marijuana, I was 12 years old. Wow. And that's really young. I have a 12-year-old daughter now, and I'm like, "Wow, I was really young." Right. How and so, you? That's abnormal.
1: I know. right. You know, well, I mean, yeah,
3: these days, unfortunately, it's not
1: now, and well, it, you kind of worry about the kids these that's days. That's right. That's right. So, so you started doing uh, drugs and alcohol and all this kind of stuff. And this, you said, this was just a pursuit of rebellion. Like you just wanted to
3: like. What, were you angry inside because of the f- home situation, or, or what? I can tell you, I, I had, I was deceived. I think, I think by the wounds that was inflicted in me. They call it a father wound. I think it opened up. Um, a a real avenue for the enemy to attack me. And I had no idea at this time. I mean, looking back on it, I can see it real clearly. Mm. But um, at the time, I was just blind by the things that I was being deceived by. And I believed all the lies of the enemy. I believed all the lies. I can remember having a recurring dream when I was a little boy of uh, me out in front of the old church I grew up in, in Mount Gilead. And we were all having wrecks and I was seeing my friends die, which they were in real life. I was having friends die in car wrecks and stuff. And I turned to the church and I threw a rock through the glass of the church and I actually shot the bird. I don't know if you know what shooting the bird is. In the dream, I shot the bird to the church. Mm. And I was like, you know, you God, I was said like, cursing God. Mm-hmm. And I was blaming God for all the things that were happening in my mm-hmm. life. And so wow. I was deceived by this. So you, you grew up in the church though, right? I had a little bit of a introduction, I would say at that age. I, had, I wouldn't read the Bible. I wouldn't um, embrace God. I didn't have a reborn experience or anything like that. I just was getting introduced. But at that time was a real impressionable time. My family was breaking up and so it didn't last long and I just departed
1: Gotcha. Okay, so what happens next now after this? So you you're having this rough childhood, and then uh, what what comes next? I mean, does it progress into worse things, or did you yes. kind of
3: turn around, or you know what what happened after the teenage years? Well, some of the um, I like to I like to say this: there's a difference between a problem abuser or someone who has who has a substance abuse problem or someone who is an addict. And so I went through probably the next um, after. My early all through high school, of just seeking marijuana, um, drinking, and any type of drugs I could take. A lot of speed, a lot of quaaludes. And the, but they I was a problem user, but I wasn't an addict yet. And so I was just continually doing that up until the time when cocaine came on the scene. And uh, I started getting introduced to cocaine around the age of 17, 16 and 17. Oh, that's and early. It early. is, it wow. is. And so this is before they made crack. And so that back then it was freebasing cocaine. And so we would start freebasing cocaine uh, back in those days. And um, I think it was during that time that I started crossing a line into being a slave to drugs. Now you gotta remember, we all loved playing ball back in those days and and during the, the, the grades completely went away all through the high school years. I mean, it was just an everyday occurrence of smoking marijuana, every day for four years. Mm. Um, and then start doing cocaine every day, you know, and drinking every day. And then I tried to go to college. I remember, forget it, my, uh, my dad pulled some strings to try to get me in college. I had terrible grades, um, tried to get me into college and, and trying to do right, but um, I just... I couldn't stop because whenever you move, and this is going, you're going to see through the progression of my testimony. When you move, your addiction moves with you. Uh. And so a lot of people try to cure things by just moving to a new location. But everywhere you go, you take you with you. Yeah, now, my, my father-in-law has a saying like that. And he's, he's not a believer or anything, but he's, he has a very wise saying. Oh yeah. That is, wherever you go, there you are. There you are. And it's, and it's like being in a room full of mirrors. Everywhere you look, there you are. You mm-hmm. just see yourself. And uh, that's what happened. And so in college, I went. and it, I mean, one semester, i already flunked out. And so I end up back in Mount Gilead, uh, North Carolina, the little Montgomery County, mm-hmm. and uh, doing the same stuff over and over and over again. And, but then after that, it started getting really bad. It started getting pretty bad, where I um, ended up having a, a friend of mine under, I think, just an amnesiac, He was a drunken stupor, killed a man. Mm-hmm. He shot him in the head, and it really scared me. And I never forget that it was after that I started seeking ways to get clean. And I started going into treatment centers and uh, NA and NA, Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous. And the thing, I, I'm a Christian now, of course, but in those days they tell you, you know, create your own God, mm. you know, and, and, but these gods had no power. There was no power to it. So I was creating these gods that they said I could create, but it never fixed anything.
1: But going through the whole 12 so, steps thing.
3: Yeah, so yeah, I'd go through the 12 steps. and But it was no, I was not choosing the God of the Bible. I was choosing a God of my own understanding, which you're gonna see through the progression. That was really what kept me so long in sin is I could not accept Yeshua on His terms. Mm. I had to create Him in my own image or a God of my own image, but that God had no power. And so I stayed chained to the drugs. Mm. And that's when it became, that's when it crossed over from abuse to addiction. Addiction, and I like to say it's it's when I stopped choosing it and it started choosing me. And uh, and so I started doing things that, um, really unspeakable things stealing, sexual immorality. I mean, just all the areas that go with addiction. I mean, it's just terrible, the things that you do, but you've lost the power of choice. And, 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 and in the Christian circles, we call that demonic possession. And that's what I became. I became demonically possessed. Do
1: you think, you think that was what it was? Yes, I
3: can, I can remember being in blackouts in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'd come out of the blackout in Virginia and uh, in a fight with somebody and had no idea how I got there. Um, wow. I mean, it's just no memory whatsoever in between. I mean, and, and after I got reborn, which is later in my story, I mean, there was demons that came out of me. Mm-hmm. They did.
1: That had to be a scary situation where, (laughs) I mean, when you have that situation where you end up in Virginia and you realize, how did I get here? Are are you in the state of
3: mind where, "Ah, I don't care, I'm just gonna... I I, I never thought about being scared. It was Mm -hmm. literally the the slavery to drugs just dispelled that. It was do anything at any cost for the drugs. Mm -hmm. Now, this is long after it became cute. It was no longer problem abusing. It was slave addiction. And, and it's, it's literally no choice. I could, I mean, I can tell this true story. I can remember getting money in my hand at that age. And I would have a physical reaction in my body that I knew I was gonna get drugs. I'd literally throw up mm-hmm. knowing that I was gonna go get drugs. And um, and and just by getting money placed in my hand. And it was like I became a robot and I just went and got it. And so, but that was, you know, the early 20s, you know, around those years. And uh, I ended up moving from... Charlotte, and we're in Charlotte now, but Montgomery County, which is not far from here, down to Atlanta, Georgia. And I started going through a series all through my 20s of going through AA and NA, going through all these different treatment facilities. I went to work for the U.S. Geological Survey, and I was really trying to do well in my life. And I would have long extended periods of not drinking or using, but eventually I'd go back to the drugs. Why do you
1: think that was? I mean, why couldn't you just shake it? Was it a spiritual thing? Was it a physical
3: thing? I mean, what was it? I did not have the power to stop. Hmm. Simple as that. I did not have the power to stop. I was seeking gods that had no power. Um, it talks about, in uh, I think it's first or second Kings is the story of Ahasia. Ahasia had fallen through the lattice and he had been wounded. And he sent his agents to go seek Belzebub if he would heal or not. And Elijah encounters them. And he says, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're seeking above? if you'll heal? Mm. He said, Therefore, you will surely die. You'll lay on the bed and you'll die. There'll be no healing. And that's what happened to me. I was seeking foreign gods to, to heal me um, mental health facilities, um, antidepressants, antipsychotics. They put me on all of this stuff, saying, he, He's crazy, he's bipolar, he's depressive, he's all of these different things. These were all foreign gods trying to heal me and I was not seeking the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob.
1: So this is all man's attempt then to, from what it sounds like, to heal a spiritual
3: problem with physical means. And I call them coping skills in which I see it a lot in the church today. People instituting coping skills to heal people. So human intervention. Well, it's so you can get along in life. Yeah. And I understand that. I think coping skills are good to you know to help you get along in life. But that's not freedom. Um, drug addiction. I can sit here now today, and somebody be sitting right there smoking crack cocaine, and I will not even feel at least a bit urged to want to do it. That's freedom from the power of God. You know. But so that's the best way I can describe it.
1: Mm. It's just so then it really the the do you see that in today's world too? We're just taking a little bit of a fast forward here. Is that the only way out for these kids who are you know, we see them now. I mean, I've got friends uh-huh. with kids in the you know, in these same circles where they're they're doing pot every day. Pot's very yes, you know, very mm-hmm. pervasive these days, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, is their only way out? a spiritual
3: encounter with Yahweh. I would like to say, if they're in the problem abuse, I, th- I, th- I would always say, yes, there's a God solution to everything. But the thing is, willpower can help you stop if you haven't crossed that line into slavery. Mm. So the willpower does work, you know, as long as you're not a slave to it or an addict. So there's a difference. If somebody's smoking marijuana, they have a marijuana problem, I think they have an encounter with God, they could use some of their own willpower and they could stop. I had gotten beyond that. You know, you,
1: well, let, you know, just for the sake of, we didn't intend to get this deep on this particular topic, but I think you know, this is a good place if, if folks are watching and they right. have kids that they're, they're afraid for their future. That's right. So this line that you talk about between abuse and uh, being a slave, so that they can recognize that in their kids, what is that?
3: Where, where, how do you know when you sort of crossed over? What, what's the you, You're seeing behavior that they can't control behavior that they can't control. It's it's like I I tell my kids today, are you choosing it or is it choosing you? Mm. Even use in um, internet, even uh, pornography, all all of these different addictions, are you choosing it or is it choosing you? So if you're choosing it, you're just choosing to sin, which that's why there's such need for deliverance ministry. A lot of people don't understand deliverance ministry. If I'm choosing it, that means my willpower can help, but if it's choosing me, I have lost choice. And so if you see this behavior in your children where there is something is choosing them, um, you need to really get some attention going to it.
1: So it's no longer them just wanting to out of the fun of the That's church, right. Say, it's, I don't even want to do this, but I feel like I have to, or I'm not gonna survive. Is that what it I, is?
3: I can tell you this. I did drugs against my will for two decades in my 20s and all through my 30s. I didn't get reborn until I was literally 39, almost turning 40 years old. Mm. Two decades of doing things against my will, I didn't wanna do it. Mm. I really didn't. It it ceased to be fun. I call these the, the, the hounds of heaven years of my life. And why do I call it the hounds of heaven? Because I had three people that prayed for me and my Aunt Annette in Florence, South Carolina, my sister Mandy in Mount Gilead, and my mom. And those three prayed for me. I mean, and, and so I can remember being, and what was the fruit of that? I can remember being in drug houses and it'd be four or five o'clock in the morning and everybody would be having fun. And I am absolutely miserable. I'm sitting there and I am, paranoid. I cannot enjoy the sin anymore. I am miserable and I couldn't stop. And it was God releasing. These prayers were releasing this hatred of sin. Mm. I was beginning to hate the sin, but I couldn't stop. And I attribute the prayers. And that's the best thing that could have happened to me because there's no salvation without repentance. You have to repent I said, I have a need of God. What I'm doing is okay. See, everybody wants today to, to make their bad behavior good. Yeah. It says in the Bible- they will good, call good is bad. G- yeah. Good is bad and bad is good. It says in this prophecy in the Bible and that's the days we're in. See, I was in the days back in the 80s and 90s where people still hid the sin and I, and I was hiding it because I knew it was bad, but I just, I couldn't stop.
0: Mm.
1: And well, and we have to know that <laughs> we're not alone has been happening for thousands of years. Even Paul says, right. why do I do the thing that I hate? That's right. I, he's like, I, what's wrong with me?
3: Why can't I stop? So that's right. that's, that's, even, even after my reborn experience, now you know they call it the conflict of two natures, between the flesh and the spirit. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, we're gonna continue this and get yeah. into the good side of now, now what's happening in your life. <laughs> that's right. The doom that's and gloom come. is going that's, on. Coming. Yeah. that's coming, that's coming. But in the 20s, you know, all it was the AA and NA stuff, um, it was always trying to, to, to do those things and stop by those means. And then eventually, about the ages of 32, in my 30s and early 30s, um, it began to be where I just gave up on that. All right, well, hold that thought. We're gonna come
1: back in just a second. Okay. So we got Rodney Thompson with us today. I hope you were encouraged by this story. and. If you don't have someone in your family going through this, hopefully you know somebody who is and maybe you can use this to help them. So that's the whole point of Shabbat Night Live and I wanna thank you for making that possible because your donations make this thing go around. To make this show happen, there are several people behind the scenes. Rodney had to fly here, he's staying in a hotel. I'm sorry guys, but money makes this happen. It's just the way it happens and your donations are the only thing that's making this show continue. So first of all, thank you and if you'd like to Make sure that this goes to other folks in the future. You can do that too, just with another donation. We really appreciate that. Thank you very much. We're going to give you a couple seconds to think about that. We'll be right back. Hey, thanks for supporting this program and supporting Rodney's visit with us. And Rodney, before the, or during the break. Yes. Uh, I said, okay, so we're going to head into your 30s now. I thought everything was going to be good. And you said, no, now it's going to get dark. (laughs) I thought we were dark enough already. But, okay, so you're, you know, we think of teen, 20s. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You know, we hear all these stories of everybody does drugs in their 20s. That's right. Everybody, or quote unquote, everybody. Um, But this
3: became a problem even into your 30s. All through the whole decade, and so this is where I like to say it, it went from being cute to ugly. Mm. And when you see grown men unable to stop, and and it's really like we really harped on the first segment was you know the difference between choosing it or it choosing you is the, the complete inability to stop. Um, and and it really got to the basis that I was not going to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, but in the '30s, but. What happened in the 30s? What, what caused me to go darker? I, I, I attribute it solely to the invention of crack cocaine. Wow. Um, crack cocaine brought about a new level of depravity in a lot of people that um, even freebasing and snorting cocaine and drinking and all this stuff didn't bring. It brought a new level of chained to mm-hmm. to drugs. Is that much more addictive? And Yes, it is, and to be honest with you, I'm not a, uh, what do you call it, someone, who, a chemist. I, I don't know what they put in it that creates that, but yes, it was much, much more demonic, much more had its grips on me and created where I would do anything to get more.
1: So getting more, doing anything, did this lead to selling the drugs? Because no, you mentioned had, you had know, already okay. had a job and things, and so
3: I'm imagining lots of the money is getting wasted there, so. Well, it, what happens is you become unemployable. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in my early 30s is when I started to become unemployable. I I didn't have the health insurance anymore, so I couldn't get into all the treatment centers. And so I couldn't do that. And so that ended up, and I couldn't work. If I go to work, uh, I would last about a week until you get the first paycheck, and then boom, you're back off the races because you don't have control, so you just go buy the drug. So it's a vicious cycle of literally for a whole decade. But I mean, and so the, the crack cocaine came in and started producing that type of behavior patterns.
1: So you've got, so you, did you end up having
3: to, so you're unemployable, how are you gonna get the money for the drugs? Well, you start selling you, the drugs? Well you it? try, but a monkey can't sell bananas. <laughs> it likes to eat the bananas, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so when you're a monkey, you have, your monkeys can't sell yeah. bananas. And so, so you start stealing, and so I can, I can remember, um, who do you steal from? And uh, we would steal from drug dealers, because there's no police being called. Um, numerous times breaking in police uh, drug dealers' houses, stealing drugs, and sometimes the drug dealer will come home and catch you at home, and you're running out the back door, and they're they're shooting at you, um, running through the woods, being shot at, um, robbing people um, at gunpoint um, to to get drugs, um, over and over and over again, and I, I'm down in Atlanta during all these years, and and plus there would be the times where things got so bad I would run to this one friend of mine. I don't know if he he wouldn't mind if I mentioned his name. His name is Jim Leverage and he owns Atlanta Super Clean in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And that was my first introduction to the business I have now. That's how I learned how to do it. So I would run to him and he had gotten clean. From uh, crack addiction. And he, you know, so he was willing to help. And so I would go to work with him and, uh, and get some money and try to get my life together. And then, boom, right back to it.
1: Mm. Did you ever turn to him for advice? I mean, did you look to him as sort of a counselor because he'd been through this?
3: No, not really. No. Not really. I never really wanted to quit. I just wanted the consequences to go away. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So, so you would go and just, somebody help me, give me a handout. Just help me through this period right here. But I never really wanted to quit. So I didn't want advice. I didn't want God because somebody would say, go to God and try to get help. And I don't want help because I knew I'd have to stop. And, and, and for something in me, I just couldn't stop. So you become unemployable. So you're working with this guy. He, he seems to be okay with you. Did, did you lose that too? And- oh, no. As soon as you start using again, you, know, you have to go because you, you can't work when you're using because when you start using, you can't stop. So I can't work and do drugs all at the same time. So you, when you start doing drugs, you just disappear. And so you lose the job and so you're undependable. So it would be a period of trying to come back and maybe I'd last a week or two. Mm-hmm. Wow. Continuing like this over and over and over again. And then plus, yes, I started mule. I call, They call it muling cocaine for the gang members in Atlanta. So I started delivering cocaine for them. And I still, I was taking from that, and then you end up, the drug dealer's looking for you because he's getting shorted on what he's having because you're stealing from him. It's just a vicious cycle of nonstop people looking for you. Mm. Um, No taxes, I mean, I never did any taxes. This is one of the testimonies after I got reborn was uh, the deliverance and freedom from um, IRS debt Mm. that I had accrued over the years. I mean, I just never did anything legal. Everything was illegal, Mm. everything.
1: We'll get into that later. That's an interesting story in itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're stealing, wow, that seems like the worst people to steal from is to steal from drug dealers. That's right. That's right. They'll find you. They
3: will. They'll come looking for you. So you're always moving around and you're doing all this. And here I am, 35, 36 years old. And I never forget, probably 37 or 38. um, I was heading downtown. I had a guy with me in my truck. And I was heading downtown to go get some drugs from a guy that um, I I had known for years. But he was unavailable. So another person came in. And I handed this person a lot of money through my window. I was in a truck. And he grabbed the money and turned around and shot five times with a 357 Magnum in my car door. And the bullets actually came in through the door and started ricocheting inside the cab. And i never forget, all I did was ball up like this because I was just saying, don't hit, don't hit. And then I looked behind me and three of the bullets rested in the back seat of the truck. And I looked back and I never thought anything about it. And I'll give the revelation later about what those three bullets represented, but it was actually the pursuit of God and His kindness. But um, I looked back at those bullets and never thought anything, and I looked back to this guy, and he just turned around me with his gold teeth and just smiled at me and walked away. And uh, and I left and went to go get more money to come down there to get more drugs. And so that's the kind of existence I had nonstop, And it wasn't long after that, that I'm at about 37, 38 years old, and and I'm just really starting to get desperate. Can't stop. Desperation, and and if anybody knows anything about coming to God, desperation can be a good thing. Brokenness can be a good thing. And I, I like using Jacob as an analogy of this. He wrestled with God until the hip got broken. And then once the hip was dislodged and broken, he then received his new name. And and so I was in that process of wrestling with God because I still, people would come to me and and I was was called these these years, the three bullets and the the pursuit of God. I started getting God messages to me, but I couldn't accept it still. I still, it's like playing uncle with Jesus, with Yeshua. And it's like, I'm I'm not saying uncle yet. Mm. You know, and I'm not, I'm not giving up yet, and so I'm still battling. I still got some pride. You you don't even know as as nuts as everything is. How can someone keep going? And there's really mental illness that's happening too, and, and demonic possession. So anyway, so about this time, I make my way back home. Thirty seven, thirty eight in those years, I'm going back home to mom. I can't take care of myself. So here I am. I got a truck with bullet holes all in it, driving back to North Carolina. And my mom had remarried a man named John Bruton. And uh, they lived in Mount Gilead. And they took me in. And I mean, just the kindest people. My mom just loved me. And and John tried to do everything he could to help me. And as we know, though, when you go to a new location, you take you with you. And um, the sad thing, the hard thing of my testimony, I get get emotional during these times. That's okay. Yeah, Um, it's what you do to your loved ones. And uh, my mom has passed away in the past year, but uh, one of my greatest joys is that she was able to see me get clean. She was able to see me come to God. And she saw many years of that. So that gives me great joy that I can talk about this today. So anyway, so I'm going to tell some things that I did to my mom um, that was really difficult, but um, she did see me get clean and sober and she saw me years and I I made right with her before she died and which gives me such peace and joy. But um, they took me in and John Bruton was her husband and he just did everything he could for me. But like I said, you start using again. And so I I found a crack dealer up there in Mount Gilead. It was in Albemarle, North Carolina, and I started using again. And um, it was just, and then I started going back into the treatment centers, which mom and dad, mom and John paid for it. And so they helped me get into these treatment centers again. And there it was, it was terrible. And I remember that time I broke my ankle and, um, I, it's like, it's almost like God put me flat on my back where I had nowhere to look, but straight up. I mean, I crushed my ankle. I dislocated. I got three plates and nine screws in my right ankle during those times where I just really crushed my ankle. And I literally, I had to lay in a bed for months and just look up. And, uh, and it was God was just working on me. And, and, I mean, it was during those times and I never forget, um, I was able to pick up a little job at a local pressure cleaning company. And, um, He had a van and uh, I started working and ended up um, getting some money in my hand and did drugs again and I ended up stealing his van. And I broke into it and stole it and I pawned all of his equipment out of it. And it was during this time, I was around the Albemarle Concord area and um, I um, pawned all of his equipment and uh, going from crack house to crack house. Now this is getting towards the end where I'm about to share the reborn experience that I experienced, which is is just a powerful encounter with God that changed all this. And so there I am just doing all this stuff and uh, going from crack house to crack house and had this stolen van, ran out of the money that I had gotten from his pawning his equipment. And finally I knew my mom and John had gone out of town. And so uh, one night in the middle of the night I went to their house and I took a brick and I threw it through their window. And I broke into my mom's house, and I stole all the credit cards and money and guns that they had in the house. And um, terrible thing to do to your mom, and especially when they're trying to help you. And I mean, I'm just beyond bad, deserving of hell, deserving of prison. And during this time, are you just sort of it's like tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. No thoughts. You, you don't see it as your mom. I, this is just a house I'm seeing. No, it's, it's drugs are more important than my loved ones. Mm-hmm. That's just terrible. I mean, and, I, and I'll say this to people that own, that have loved ones that are like this. And the, and yes, they love the drugs more than you, but you need to understand that they're under some a power that's greater than them. They can't stop. And it, it, explaining this to my mom helped her forgive me. You know, that it wasn't, I, I loved my mom, but I, I, could, I had to have the drugs at all costs. So um, broke in, stole all that stuff from my mom, and then we ended up um, being back into a, a crack house. And, and uh, it was during this time that um, a Presbyterian pastor um, in Albemarle, North Carolina, led by the Holy Spirit, came into the hood and came to the door. And he knocked on the door and he pointed me out and said, you come here. And I stood up and I walked outside. He didn't know who you were. Nope, never met me. He gave me the gospel the first time I'd ever heard it. Hmm. He, I truly believe that man planted a seed on my heart that night. And uh, I looked at him and I said, you've got to leave. Somebody's going to rob you. And He left. I ran into that man years later after I had kids and he was able to see my kids. Um, but uh, he left and I just kept doing drugs. And then uh, about a few days later, I found myself still with the stolen van and I, had, I was in another drug house. And then I, right, then I was down in, back down in Mount Gilead in a crack house outside of Mount Gilead, North Carolina. And um, I'd run out of money again. And if you know anything about drugs, you don't eat when you're doing drugs. And so when you run out of drugs, you start getting hungry. And so I started getting hungry, but the drug dealers were cooking fish in the kitchen. And I'm just going to share this like it happened. Um, There I am, I'm I'm pacing, I'm out of money, I've robbed my mom, so I can't go there anymore. I've got a stolen van that's out of gas, Uh, it's below E, all the, everything in there's pawned and I'm at the end. I mean, literally no options. And I'm pacing the floors in this, this crack house. What do I do? What do I do? And the drug dealer and I'm getting hungry and the drug dealers are in there cooking fish. And I went to them, I said, can I have some fish? I'm getting hungry. And they kind of laughed at me and told me to get away from them. And they were getting ready to kick me out of the house, I'm sure, because I had no more money. And the devil, man, he just kicks you when you're down. When you're down and out, that's when he kicks you harder. And that's where I was at. And uh, I came around, they got done eating and I was so hungry, I came around into the kitchen and when you're eating fish, you get the bones and you spit it out in the plate. And I picked up the spit of their bones and I started sucking the bones of their spit out. It was during that time, the prodigal son, it says when he was eating pig slop, he came to himself. And uh, it was during that time I was eating that pig, that pig slop, is what I call it, and I saw Jesus. And He appeared before me, and it was like He had a mirror, and He showed it to me, and, he, and it showed me what I had become. And I was like looking at myself, what I had become. And it devastated me, devastated me, it just took me to, I don't know if you know what it feels like to put a pin in a balloon and just all the air just comes out. I came to myself and I said this to Jesus. I said, Jesus, if you save me, I'll do anything you want me to. And boom, he was gone. Hmm. And I have to say this because this is the truth. He touched me on my head and I received the promise of the Father. I started speaking in tongues at that time And I never knew what it was. I didn't even know what it was. You're just babbling. I'm I'm babbling and I just, all kinds of crazy stuff starts happening. And that's what happened. And and, uh, it says in John chapter 10 that my sheep will know my voice. At that point, I believe I was reborn. And I immediately started hearing a voice saying, go here, go here. So there I was. I was five miles into the woods, so to speak. And guess what? It's five miles out of the woods. So he's got to lead you out. He didn't take me around it, out of it or whatever. He said, I'm going to leave you out. He took me by the hand and he led me through everything I had to go through. And what he said, he said, go to your mom. I said, take that stolen van and drive to your mom's house. And there I am, I'm sitting there. I had been eating this spit out fish. Jesus reveals himself to me. I get reborn. I get filled with the Holy Spirit right there. And he says, take that stolen van and drive it to your mom's house. And I'm like, I just robbed them. There's no gas in the van. I get in, I don't know how that van made it to my mom's house. I got in that van, that van made it to my mom's house. I pull up and guess what? Police officer's there. And uh, it, it was there where um, I was arrested. And uh, my mom was, saw me at that point, and, uh, she And uh, she basically devastated. I, 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 that's the only word you can describe a mother seeing their son at that point, devastated. And um, this is uh, getting into this part right here, the arrest and the, and the, the deliverance from prison, I mean, all these things that are coming up in the testimony. So. Wow,
1: well, let's save that. that. That sounds like a real good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. We're not gonna be able to explain that in another minute here that we have left. So no, let's save that for no. the next episode. That's okay. right. Okay, thank you for being here. And thank you for being here. You've brought uh, Rodney to us. I hope you're enjoying this story. Hope you're learning from it. I'm learning from it. Getting more insight in, into what people go through when they're going through drugs and this type of thing. But the story gets better, and it gets a lot better. And you're yes, not gonna does. believe what he's doing today. So the good stuff's absolutely after. The good stuff after, after meeting Jesus. So we're going to come back and talk more about all of this next week. So be with us here on Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for being with us. And until then, Shabbat Shalom.